Welcome to another edition of the Love You Later by podcast, Psych Monologues. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host and commentator. It seems like it has been an eternity since I have sat in front of this mic. As a matter of fact, a lot of time, or not a lot of time, a lot of uh, things have happened since the last time I did this. Uh, I had the benefit of, of uh, recording ahead, so the, the episode that came out on Sunday was actually intended for um, the previous Wednesday. I got ahead of myself. That would be a first in world history. Well, my history, not world history. So, um, <clears throat> but it's uh, good to be back. And uh, I am uh, feeling a little bit more rested after a uh, crushing period of time in terms of grading and reading stories and and a lot of the things that are part of my life as I close out a uh, semester. So uh, welcome to uh, Wednesday, May 20th. And uh, I have been uh, focusing on in the website uh, what I've been referring to as life lessons and uh, taking some time to, to reflect on some key themes and things that I have found to be a tell, telltale uh, for the direction of somebody's life and how they uh, do things and relationships and things along that line. One of the things that I have uh, just recently been mulling over and, and I've actually had conversations with folks, um, a variety of people on this, is just how do you, uh, the, the euphemism we use is how do you close a chapter in your life? We're we're um, coming up on in a couple of days here, at least the virtual commencement for CCU, and and uh, but all the the dust and fury is pretty much over uh, for the semester for graduating seniors, and um, and I, the the question that was put to me was really, so how do you put an end to the chapter that we call the time that we've had, the season that we've had? Uh, I've had a lot of people really react to this idea of, of, of a season of life because it, it carries with it so many connotations. Um, <clears throat> in a lot of cases, we, we feel more alive when spring hits, and, and it seems like we're, we certainly get more active when summer uh, begins to uh, uh, push in on us and, and uh, we get more active outside and do a variety of things. So. The seasons can, can mean a change in activity, a change in even our perspective about the future because the environment and the circumstances we're in are different as well. But again, the question is, is how do I put a, a punctuation point at the end of this chapter of my life? And the challenge is, I think, accepting the fact that there, there should be a punctuation point uh, something that I have talked about before on this podcast, and I'll just repeat it or mention it again tonight, is the idea of saying goodbye and doing a good goodbye instead of one that is I'll see you later or talk soon or uh, the other euphemisms that we come up with just to kind of soften the blow of this punctuation point that comes at the end of a chapter of our lives. Ultimately, a new chapter can't begin if there's not a punctuation at the end of the first one. The reality is, is that if I avoid putting a punctuation at the end of that chapter, then I really can't go on to the next one. 
And in a lot of cases, you see this really in people's lives is that when they refuse to say goodbye, to leave behind the things that were part of that chapter of their lives, then they carry it along with them, which means that there is an increasingly heavier and heavier burden that they carry uh, into that whatever that next phase is. And I'm not sure I'd call it a chapter. Because chapters always open with either a continuation of the chapter before or an introduction of new characters or an introduction of new uh, scenes that people are in or whatever it might be. But there is a a continuation is different than having things um, not finished or unclosed and then brought with us into the next chapter because ultimately they will impact and color and and might I say even poison the the what goes on in that next chapter and that's that's the biggest challenge of it all so I, I I've had plenty of people say well why why should I do that I mean that's just <clears throat> excuse me that's just needless pain why would anybody want to do something like that and it's it's a bigger point which I think I probably need to spend some time on on another podcast on and that's something I talked about briefly before and that's the idea of contrast when we scrub our lives clean of anything that that smacks of being negative or painful or difficult or anything like that and we clean and sanitize our our lives of those things we are also diluting the effect of joy and happiness and satisfaction and contentment and all the other things that ultimately need a contrast to gain meaning and that will be that that's something i'll just bring along with me the next time i i was uh i because of the role that i play at ccu i'm talking to a generation that is (coughs) excuse me a, a long way behind me and and that's something I've noticed, at least in the millennial generation, some would call them the Z's, um, that um, they don't want to hear about negative things. They don't want to hear about the bad things. And for good reason, I'm not saying that that's an indication of anything. But when we do everything we can to remove those things from our lives, then when we experience joy what where's the contrast to it what what gives joy its depth is the pain that we've experienced in other places in our lives so i could go on farther with that but i won't i i've got another agenda tonight Uh, like i said i want to talk a little bit about these life lessons ideas and the one i want to focus on uh, just to transition to this is what i have referred to as pursuing excellence and not perfection we live in a world that loves to talk about excellence but act like uh, they're per, or pursuing perfection and the one thing that i will the one observation i will make is that perfectionism is actually an internal form of legalism because legalism in in not only uh, the the kind of the commonplace societal way or uh, in in a more uh, uh, religious context or Christian context in terms of legalistic legalism itself is about measurement it's about contract I do this you 
give me something back in return. And in the Christian context, legalism is all about the things that I have to do to win God's favor, which flies completely in the face of grace that we love to do a lot of talk about, but we don't seem to have figured out exactly how to live by grace. We're good with being saved by grace, but then we work our our butts off for the rest of our lives to prove that we're worthy of the grace that was that was expended if you want to put it that way for our salvation so there's no grace really for me for when I make a mistake for when I do it wrong when I disappoint somebody when I uh, <clears throat> do things that hurt other people there's no grace for that there's only punishment and shame for that and that's where we get into trouble. Because if we want to uh, pound our chests about saved by grace, living by grace, uh, but then we live our lives as if we have to work, work it off in order to be worthy of that grace, I would go so far as to say that that's an insult to the giver. Now, think about this with me for a second. Because perfectionism... Perfectionism is really uh, uh, an effort to strive towards something which we know we can't achieve, but yet we think if we don't strive for it, the only thing that's left for us is mediocrity, which is fundamentally not true. And most of the, the psychologists that you talk to in stress research and other things like that is that the pursuit of excellence means living with my mistakes. But let me go back to my original point, and that is, is that if I accept grace to be saved, but then live my life legalistically or by trying to prove that I'm worthy of that, it is an insult to the person who's given me that grace. We all know that we are saved by grace and it is a gift of God that nobody can earn. We got that. Except that we're like the, 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 the person, which is inconceivable, but just bear with me for a second. We're like the person, maybe a family member, and uh, you, it's Christmas time and you've been giving out gifts and, and uh, everybody's gotten their fair share of gifts from everybody else and maybe a secret Santa or two or whatever that might be. And this particular family member, as they're walking out the door, sidles up to you, pulls out his or her wallet and says, oh, so by the way, um, what do I owe you for the gifts that I just gave you? And after a stunned amount of silence, you might say they're gifts. <laughs> they're not trades. They're not to be bought. They're not to be purchased. If they're purchased, then they're not gifts. And yet, I would say, and when I look even at my own life, my tendency is, is that grace is so big, so overwhelming, so powerful, so uncontrollable, that I would much rather purchase it, which makes it pretty cheap, than accept it and use that grace to help me change. 
because the only way that I am going to change is through grace. Now, a lot of people, and I can tell you this because I was I was lucky, fortunate enough, blessed enough to to um, have enough interactions with Brennan Manning that he got slapped around a fair amount by Christians almost more than he did non-Christians because he was all about grace. He talked about grace all the time. And he would often have people point to him and say, you know, you talk all about grace and you, all you're doing is just giving people a license to sin. And he was cocked and primed for when somebody would say that to him because he would look back and say, I thought I was giving them a reason not to. You see, our understanding of grace is even tinged by shame. And shame is about my person. And, or, yeah, is about my person. Grace gives me the ability to change my performance. The people that are the highest in their excellence, in their, their uh, pursuit of excellence, are the ones who have understood what practical grace looks like. Do they like making mistakes? No, they don't. As a matter of fact, some might even use the word hate. They hate making mistakes. On the other hand, they want to be so, they want to pursue excellence at such a level that they will use anything to leverage their ability to accomplish that, which means their mistakes almost as much as the things that they do right. What that means, though, is that <clears throat> even more so, they will be spending a lot of their time doing things the right way because they have learned from the mistakes. Now, let's go all the way back to a few minutes ago when I was talking about this current generation removing and trying to erasing out all the negative, difficult things that occur. Ultimately, the kind of people that we meet, that we walk away and, and kind of walk away in awe, at the depth of, of um, their character and their, their engagement with life and all of those things. And when we reflect on where they've come from, it's because the things that they have learned in the valley, not in the mountaintop. It's the places, the empty places that they have visited them within themselves that allows them to invite that out of us to talk about life that way as well. So if we want to talk about not per, or pursuing excellence and not perfection, then we have to ultimately have a conversation about shame and what it does. I would suggest to you that not only is my, are, is my, uh, my ability to overcome shame uh, is predicated on my ability to be connected to and speak what it is that is going on in my head to someone who is safe to do that with. But it also rests on my grasp of what grace really means. Brene Brown, who is a, uh, uh, a frequent, um, well, he, she's probably one of the more renowned uh, speakers about um, shame in our context, uh, in our world right now. And she's very popular. Yeah, for, for a lot of good reasons. And she, she once said, when perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. And I would add, and fear is always in the back seat. Because you see, the one thing about perfectionism and shame 
is that we're we have all experienced it it has always been a part of our the landscape of how we do things it is part of not only our expectations but it's also part of what we think others evaluations are of us as well so if i don't perform at the level that is expected of me i'm condemned and condemned is not get, be given, being given another chance to change, which means I remain condemned. There's no way out. And that condemnation doesn't necessarily come from the people in our lives. It comes from us. I had a conversation with people, somebody today that was representative of many conversations I've had with people. And so often we have... Uh, interactions and conversations and relationships with people in our heads without ever interacting with them and we always come up with the same conclusion and that is it's just because I'm such a failure it's just because I'm such a, a, a loser I can't ever do anything right I'm never a good enough friend I can't I can't and that's what they're thinking of me the fact of the matter is is that relationships are built on dialogue and the relationships we connect with people in our heads is built on monologue. It might be alternating monologues, me with myself and the other me with myself or whatever that is, but it is sure as heck not with the person because we are so bound up and chained and imprisoned by our shame that we would never want to invite somebody into that the amazing thing about that is, is that if we do, we might actually learn the most profound lesson about grace. When somebody looks us in the eye, we admit that we're afraid. We admit that we had, we admit the fact that we don't do things quite right. And they look us in the eye and say, yeah, me too. I, I, I've failed some really important people in my life. I know how that feels. And they don't offer us a solution. They only offer us their presence. And that is profound. That is a moment, of a sacred moment, if I, if I can say it that way. Which I can't because it's my podcast. But we have to find a way to pursue excellence. And excellence means living with mistakes. Excellence means living with reality as it is, not as I would have it. Excellence means a lot of other things that I think I will take some more time to get into. Um, as part of the uh, uh, weekend edition, I will continue this conversation. I think there's, there's a lot of things behind this that, that I can spend a little bit more time talking about, which, uh, which I will do. And I will continue this conversation uh, lest I overstay my welcome with this particular podcast uh, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, pursuing excellence and not perfection 2.0 on the weekend edition coming up. And like I promised in the last uh, podcast, uh, I will be having in the not too distant future a couple of interviews with uh, some people that have participated in uh, the silent retreat uh, for CCU students. So if you know anybody or you can refer anybody to the website to contribute to uh, uh, support our efforts of providing this this ministry to CCU students in particular if if we can get enough people interested in it 
uh, and willing to, to give, uh, we can broaden it. We can broaden it to a lot more people, and that would be absolutely phenomenal and downright mir- miraculous, if I might say so. So, um, so that's it for tonight. Thank you for joining me. I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. Uh, please uh, be sure to hit the website at drmitch.com and subscribe or go to Podbean, raymitch.podbean.com and subscribe to the podcast. They have an app so you can get the, the updated version of uh, whatever episode is released each time when it comes out. Uh, and I think that probably covers everything that is necessary for um tonight on the 20th of may so thanks for joining me and as always love you later bye